Welcome to the Film Trooper Podcast with your host, Scott McMahon. Hi, and welcome to the Film Trooper Podcast. I'm your host, Scott McMahon, and this episode is sponsored by the book How to Make and Sell Your Film Online and Survive the Hollywood Implosion While Doing It. It's available in paperback, as a Kindle ebook, as well as an audiobook. In fact, you can get the audiobook for free when you sign up for audible.com for the first 30 days. And you can get all the details at survivetheimplosion.com. Again, that's at survivetheimplosion.com. And I can't think of a better guest to have on the show to talk about surviving the Hollywood implosion than the founder of the No Budget Film School, Mark Stoloroff. And the title for today's show is Driver X, The Art and Science of No Budget Filmmaking with Mark Stoloroff. Now, Mark has been holding classes all over the country since 2005. And so who is Mark Stoloroff? Well... Let's take a quick trip down Mark's story. Well, he grew up in Texas, where as a little kid, he was making Super 8 films with his friends, so there was an early love for filmmaking then, and if you're asking yourself what the heck is Super 8mm, just watch the film by J.J. Abrams. Now, I'm sure Mark didn't have to deal with invading aliens and stuff like that, but you'll get an idea what his childhood was probably like. So Mark went to the University of Texas in Austin to study, no, not film, but business. (laughs) He would later work as an investment banker, but he can never shake that filmmaking bug. So when he moved out to Los Angeles, he got a job with Roger Corman. So he got his first taste of no-budget filmmaking from, you know, the master, Roger Corman. But during one of the earliest South by Southwest festivals, Mark actually went back home to Austin, Texas, and he caught a talk by Peter Broderick who was announcing the creation of Next Wave Films. Now, Next Wave at the time had a deal with the IFC channel, the Independent Film Channel, and Next Wave would be supplying finishing funds to independent films as part of this deal that would be, you know, distributed on IFC. So Mark was super impressed by what Peter Broderick had to say and what was offering, so he sent him a resume. And Mark was hired as an executive and the right-hand man to Peter at Next Wave Films. Now, here are some of the films and filmmakers that Mark got to work with when he was at Next Wave. They actually helped Christopher Nolan finish his first feature film, The Following. Yeah, that's not a bad guy to start out with. <laughs> they assisted Darren Aronofsky on his first feature film, Pi, before it got relegated to the original investors. But again, you know, <laughs> that's an amazing filmmaker to start out with. And they also worked with Joe Carnahan on his first feature film, Blood, Guts, Bullets, and Octane. And what did Joe go on to do? He went on to make Narc, Smoking Aces, The A-Team, The Grey, and now directs episodes on The Blacklist and State of Affairs. So it's not a bad resume. And you know what? The list goes on. So, you know, Mark was there at a prime moment, almost like the second golden wave of independent film. And on top of that, Next Wave had a lot of their films premiere at Sundance, in which Mark attends every year. But it was on the film True Love, written and directed by Henry Berryall, if I pronounce that correctly, is that he really got to understand what it's like to work within the no-budget realm. Now, Mark has gone on to produce numerous no-budget films and puts on these workshops around the country helping filmmakers understand the art and science of making films in this manner. Now, I caught Mark as he is neck deep in the last days of his new crowdfunding campaign for the film Driver X, which is about an at-home dad who must survive the nights as an Uber driver in Los Angeles. (laughs) I really wanted to dig deep into what Mark's perspective was on the whole world of independent film now, since he's seen the transition of independent film from the tail end of what could be perceived as the golden era to what it is now. 
Cool. So now that you have a good background of who Mark is, please enjoy my conversation with him here on the Film Trooper podcast. When did you, um, um, how do you pronounce Henry's last name? Burial? Yeah, I think that's, I mean, that's I guess you close. could say it Burial, but Burial, Burial, I, think Burial, Burial, Burial. I don't know, I, like I think Burial. Burial's fine, okay. yeah. I mean, <laughs> he's, you know, he's Cuban-American, so maybe there's a little bit of, you could add the little Latino fling to the end of it or something, I don't know. He, he isn't, he doesn't care. Now, you've worked with him uh, several times. Uh, what was the what was the first time you guys met? Um, so I guess we're officially doing this interview, right? Yeah, don't worry about it. We're, I'll tell you I'll, <laughs> I'll tell you what happened was um, I'm taking care of like all the introductory of your, your sort of background, and I point you to the two other podcasts that you've been on with Christopher Holland and Dave Bullis. That way it allows people to like catch up and more, and I'd like to try to get into things that you don't have to rehash it. About. Yeah, so yeah. Yeah. Um, I was curious because, you know, you've worked with Henry – um, you know, several times now. What was it like about the first meeting that decided, like, okay, I'll, you know, I'll continue to produce yeah, your next couple of films? It didn't really work like that. We we met, um, and I mentioned this on some of those other podcasts. But you know, I was at Next Wave Films. I was, uh, I quote, an executive. It didn't feel like that at the time, but I guess that's what we were, what I was. But um, at Next Wave Films, and we uh, people submitted their films to us for for finishing funds, and just about everybody who was making films from 1997 to 2002. Famous now, you know, especially for, you know submitting films to us, and um, that's you know when we got when I got involved with Chris Nolan's film and Joe Carnahan's film, and met people like David Gordon Green and Mark Forrester and Craig Brewer, and you know uh, a lot of really you know people that are big Justin Lin, people working today mm-hmm. had films that kind of came through Next Wave, Darren Aronofsky, whatever, um, <laughs> and so uh, so they i say they because it was a threesome that made this film somebody it was three people and that was the whole team it was it was henry and stephanie and and, and uh, this other guy um and um jeff and uh stephanie is the lead actress in the movie but she's like the co-writer um henry kind of co-wrote it with her and then he was the director and then and then jeff was the editor and composer and and it was just this like amazing kind of threesome that made this film this really unique film that didn't have any other crew and um and uh they shot shot the film for maybe three thousand dollars this is we got this in in 2000 and um we got involved and uh kind of tweaked it helped them tweak it a little bit to kind of we thought it could get into sundance and um there was one thing that we felt like needed to be a, a tweak that they probably would never take it if it had stayed that way um, and they were nice enough to, you know, they were like, all right, we'll make this change. I don't think they really wanted to do it. And I kind of didn't want to do it, but I think that's the reason it got into Sundance was this change that, that we had suggested. And then it got into Sundance and dramatic competition, which is, as you know, is a, you know, crazy and almost impossible thing for this little tiny movie. Yeah. Um, you know, there's only 16 slots and, and literally, I mean, they, they'd spent two years and maybe $3,000 over that course of, of time, maybe. So, um, that's how I met Henry and I actually became closer to Stephanie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we started dating and I, I live with, oh, her. you know, okay. we, we, we went out for like five years and she lived with me and, and, um, and that was really my, more my relationship with, with Henry was through Stephanie and, um, not, and just so this is clear. I don't, I didn't have relationships with everybody. Right, 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 right. Yeah, no, it's I, mean, this was just a, <laughs> I think people, is this normal? <laughs> it, I mean, it happens, you know, I mean, but it wasn't like, you know, Hey, um, I'm, I'm running the, you know, I'm working at this company here. Um, anyway, <laughs> but you know, she was single. I don't know, but, and we're still very close friends by the way. Um, uh, so, um, anyway, so that's, that was my introduction to Henry. And then, um, and it was always kind of really knowing Henry more through Stephanie and, and even though, you know, we'd spent time together and, and this and that, but I, 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 
when he, when next, two, two things that happened, Next Wave closed in 2002. Mm-hmm. And Henry had been working with some other producers and other people on a couple of different things. And one of them was this film called True Love that he was hired to, to write um, in a Mike Lee style. Um, somebody was 100% improvised. It, there was not one written you know, sentence. And, um, and as you probably know, Mike Lee works in a very similar way where he, he workshops with actors, which is what they did with, on somebody. Um, but then eventually he does write it down and there is a script. Um, it's all comes out of improvisations and they record the, you know, these improvisations. And so the, the scripts feel incredibly real. In fact, they probably don't, I've never read a Mike Lee script. I imagine they don't read all that well because they have all the imperfections of the human language and this kind of thing. Um, so he was asked to, to create a movie working in that style. And he did this film called true love. Um, that film got into the Sundance screenwriters lab in 2003 and um, again, I'm, I'm not attached. I don't know anything about it. Yeah. Um, and then they did a reading of it. The Sundance Lab does readings for a lot of their projects. And I went to a reading. I was really interested to see it. And um, I loved it. I thought, wow, there's just he's captured something really real and true and honest, which is kind of what Henry, that's his thing. I and mean, that's what he likes to do. And that's his strength is being able to kind of recognize if something's kind of authentic or not. And and that was the whole thing with somebody. Every that Somebody was a success because there were moments in that film that felt like almost documentary like that felt very real and you're just like wow I actually that's exactly what happened when I broke up with my girlfriend I went through that same you know thing mm-hmm. I said that same you know thing it felt that same way or whatever so this was this was a, a different story but it had that same kind of idea going on and um and I love the actors too they had the reading had a number of the actors that he had workshopped with because that was the idea he, you know these were all people that he, he put together they were great actors that may, weren't famous but they were great actors and um, so they were, you know, a lot of that stuff probably came from their own personal experience and, and, and ended up in the script. And so at some point he came to me um, and was really upset that the original producers had dropped the film. They were going to make this film for like a million dollars or two million dollars. And and uh, but they need, needed to get real you know names in there to to uh, to get that money. And he wasn't going to you know fire these actors that had uh, he'd workshop the, the script with. And then they said, well, we can't do it. And he was really frustrated. And at, th- at that time, I was working with a guy named Ron Judkins, mm-hmm. who I met at Next Wave, um, who is a uh, – he's a director and a producer. He'd made a film called The High Line that we repped at Sundance. Um, uh, and he's also a two-time Academy Award-winning sound, production sound mixer. He's been nominated five times. He, he does – Mostly works with Steven Spielberg, but he's he's been you know working for a few other. He's worked with other people as well. He just yeah. I think he did Jungle Book recently, um, and um, you know he's a guy who worked on like Punch Drunk Love and some other really cool movies. But 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 basically almost every single Spielberg movie he's he's done, um, and um, really smart guy, really talented guy. Um, who, you know, wants, you know, really wants to be a director, but, you know, it's kind of hard to kind of tell Steven Spielberg no and this kind of thing. So, um, but anyway, we, you know, we'd met when I was at Next Wave and he wanted, he had this idea for making a slate of, of low budget films, like $200,000 films. And I was like, absolutely, let's do it. And we'd been working on that when Henry came to me and said, you know, this film that you saw the reading is, has fallen through. And I said, you know, Ron, why don't we, maybe let's do this film as kind of a trial, you know, we're, we're, you know, we're trying to 
learn this. I felt like I kind of already knew how to do this kind of no budget stuff, but Ron really, you know, his film was like a half a million dollars. So this was very different. Um, and we just decided let's make it for $50,000. It was a, it was a completely arbitrary number that we felt like the three of us could put money in and come up with a, you know, a third uh, $50,000 a piece, whatever that is, like a little under $20,000 a piece, um, and make this movie. And I had seen the reading and I thought, yeah, I think it could be done for 50. I mean, I hadn't budgeted anything or, right. you know, whatever. And, um, and my kind of, for me, I think it was, there was a certain, um, the critical mass of like knowing we could, that movie was worth doing. We could make it for 50,000 or whatever. was the fact that it was pretty much cast and I'd, and I'd already seen the actors and they were terrific. And that was like, this, this will be a good movie because of that. And, and we'll figure out the rest of it. And the rest of it's not as important as that. Um, and so we kind of did, you know, we pulled off this kind of, kind of amazing production you know and i think we spent all in maybe 75 or something you know paying the editor and post and stuff like that post sound and things like that but it was kind of a miracle we it was a really ambitious movie it was not a no budget film we had a huge pretty pretty big crew a huge cast huge cast a lot of locations and it was kind of my first opportunity to really produce a movie um and apply some of these ideas that i kind of knew or thought you know i knew and um and it, and it worked. I mean, you know, the film, the film ultimately at the end of the day is a huge success uh, for a couple of reasons. But the production was a complete success. And and I'm very proud of the movie. It's just that we started working on – took a long time to make the movie. It took a long time in editing to kind of get it right. And we didn't get into Sundance like right after we – when we first made the – did the first cut. And we were really close because they were looking at it the last weekend, I know, because I went over there and, and gave John Cooper a um, – uh, a DVD on the la- the final weekend because it wasn't working or something. And, um, and I talked to him about it and he was like, you know, he really liked it, but he didn't like this or that or whatever. And it didn't get in. And then we worked on it for a long time, like trying to, trying to improve it and then eventually finished it, you know, later um, and played a bunch of festivals. And then it was when we were going to festivals with true love that we started Henry and I would, he was, you know, pitching me this new idea for a new movie and I love that idea and then jumped in to make that new movie, which was pig. And we kind of let, True Love just sit on the sideline and it's been been there ever since. I mean, and the big problem with True Love from 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 a kind of distribution standpoint is that it was made with the um with the experimental the SAG experimental contract. And if you're familiar mm-hmm. with that contract, it was a deferred contract. You can't get any distribution until you you pony up the money to pay the actors, which we knew going in. We had we knew kind of we tried to control how many SAG actors were working and this and that, but we knew it was gonna cost like, I don't know, maybe another fifteen thousand or something to to actually make that film available to, to be available at all for distribution. And, and, you know, no one's going to come up with that money. And so it's, it, it played a lot of festivals. It got some good reviews. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I show clips of it in my class and yeah. I've, you know, used it in a lot of different ways, but it's never really been out there. You know, we, we give it away in our Kickstarter campaigns and stuff. And, and again, I'm really proud of the movie that the acting is so great. Um, but, you know, it's a drama with no names and it's not, yeah. you know, it's not the most commercial kind of thing. So that's really how we started working together. And then it's just been, you know, one, each movie has its own little story, I guess, after that. Yeah, the, the, it's interesting because your your trajectory is that you're kind of in that weird transition of like, you know, um, getting into the independent film world. Like you mentioned, you started um, – with Roger Corman and then, then jumping with Peter Broderick and just happened to be his right hand man for, were you there for the entire, the entirety of next wave? Yeah, I was the, I was the first person he hired. Okay. What did you, what did you see? Like I, I, 
because I've heard this concept before. It's been there where um, filmmakers or producers will be like, okay, look, let's raise $10 million and we're going to make 10 $1 million films. Uh, so we can, I can get the, you know, there's all this hustle to get the financing, to get this basically money in escrow in place, then to start, you know, shooting off like, okay, here we go. I've seen it like there was that model kind of um, with, was it DigiEnt? Uh, Indigent. Indigent, thank you so much. Mm-hmm. So the same idea. So was that... Um, was that sort of a, was that like kind of a trend, or does that trend still exist within the independent film spectrum of certain producers? Yeah, it, you know, it's there's a lot of people. I mean, there's a lot of advantages to a slate, you know, and 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 if you're you know if you're in investment banking or something like that, you understand portfolio theory and you know uh, this this kind of thing, diversification, that kind of thing. From a kind of the financial people like to run numbers. Um, slate numbers and it just works better than a one-off always, you know, if you're looking at investment, any kind of investment portfolio. Um, uh, and so that's one reason why people like slates, but it's really hard to do slates. I mean, I, when we were doing Antic, I knew pretty w- well what the challenges were that I think most that, that Ron wasn't familiar with, um, mm-hmm. which was things like, and it's hard for me to remember now, but let, you know, <laughs> finding, you know, if you're going to do 10, 10 movies, Finding ten really good movies, you know, is the first <laughs> challenge, um, and then uh, and then how long it takes to make a movie, you know, th- these projections are always like, yeah, we're going to turn it around. Investors are going to start getting their money. It's like, no, 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 this this movie could take four years. We may be in, you know, editing this thing forever to get it to to. Be, it's so hard to make a good movie, and um, I mean, for Henry and I, it always takes a lot longer than we like to think. You know, Pig took forever. Mm. True Love took forever, and Pig took forever, and. House of Jack built took a little less time, but still, you know, you step back and well, that movie was written in 1995, so it took 20 years. Um, yeah. But um, but uh, but anyway, so there's a lot of challenges to a slate, and with you know Next Wave, it was a very different kind of a you know it it wasn't like I don't know exactly how they how IFC kind of ran the numbers, but I know some of the things. I mean they 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 had a, an idea of how many films that we would get involved with and how much money we would spend each year um, on each film. And uh, and then of course there's overhead and all those other things, mm-hmm. um, and then they had some some things some competitive advantages in particular with our particular company, which were things like they were going to get some back end and they were going to have the library rights to these movies, um, and they were interested in building a library. That was one of the I think the I think you know maybe this is inside secrets or something, but it's you know so long ago. Um, <laughs> but I think they I think the way it worked for them was we're trying to build a, a library of great independent films maybe we can make a profit doing that. It's like, it's like Kickstarter. I'm trying to collect email addresses. Maybe some people will pay me to give me their email address, right. which is the way I see Kickstarter um, sometimes. But, um, and so for them, it was like, if we can make money on each individual film, that's great. But at the end of the day, we're trying to build a library anyway. And we're going to end up with, you know, with a library. If we do five movies a year for five years, that's 25 movies or whatever. Um, and so that was the way. That, and also we, as part of our deal, they had a cable channel and we got those rights those were part of the deal. You got we the cable. They got the cable rights for free. Mm. That was just the deal we had to make with filmmakers. And um, so, so I think on paper it looked great. What ended up being really difficult about it was again finding five good movies that you you know want to get involved with was didn't didn't work out that way. Um, and two, you just spend so much more time on each one than you think. I mean, I spent four years or. Some or something working on following, uh, you know, because there's all these different things that happen, and 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 you know we we have to keep our staff lean and mean. Um, I mean, we, you know, the staff grew, but it was still small, and and you know you're 
you just you can't do a, a terrific job on every movie if you've got that many movies because um, you're never just like getting involved, kind of half working on it. It sells the first festival and then you walk away. You're always, I mean, they're like your kids. You're always like, you know, spending time with them. So that, so it was, it was much more difficult model uh, to manage than you kind of think. Um, even though, and then, you know, even though, you, you, you know, we were positioned really well, Peter really knew how to do this. Um, he also knew just really well, uh, he, he was really good at looking at a movie and going, this is a movie that we that will work for what we're doing. Like I, w- the first film that we got involved with um, unofficially was Pi. Mm-hmm. Um, he, we looked at Pi and Peter said, this is going to be the first movie. And we showed it to IFC and I think they were like, what? They just didn't get it. And this is, you know, imagine Pi several months before Sundance. You know, this was yeah. eight or nine months before Sundance. And, um, and it was so different and unique, which was what we were looking for. And, um, people don't recognize that. And I mean, it's hard to recognize that stuff. It's, you can look back and go, of course, pie, you know, but not, not in that stage when not, not when there's a lot of, there are other people talking about it and this and that. And it just, you know, so he just knew instinctively, this is it. This is our first movie. And we worked on the movie for several months. We had, we had a deal, a, a short form deal in place, you know, that we signed and then they got into Sundance and then the original investors wanted to come back and, and finish the movie themselves. And then we ended up, couldn't, we couldn't make a, uh, we couldn't finish our long term, our long form deal. And we ended up just kind of giving it back to them because they, they clearly just didn't want to do it. And it was, we were running out of time. And, and, um, and then of course, Pi became this huge hit, which was, you know, really, that was really tough. Um, but um, the, uh, another movie like that would be Blair Witch Project, which we were following for, a year and a half before it was submitted to us. I was the first person at the company to look at. It. I was really excited about it because, because we've been, I've been talking to Greg Hale and, you know, for, for a while. And, and, uh, I, you know, that movie like kind of blew me away. I, I mean, I was sitting in my apartment, it was cold. I was like getting chills and I was like, is it cause it's cold or cause I'm, I'm actually scared, you know? And, um, you know, that was a film that, uh, was not easy to decide that was going to be a big hit. I mean, no one thought it was going to be a big hit, first of all, but it was just, mm-hmm. just for us to get, just for us to get involved. It was like, well, I don't know. It's not an art film. It's, it, you know, you can imagine certain people liking it, but those people don't go to, out to see little movies, you know, the, the kind of party of five crowd was the way I used to describe it. <laughs> um, and, uh, and so that, th- those are not easy decisions. And we ended up, you know, deciding we wanted to get involved with that film and we're working, um, you know, to work out a deal. And then sure enough, same thing. They got into Sundance and then somebody, someone, someone involved, a brother-in-law or whoever stepped up and said they wanted to pay for it. And there were less strings attached. And then we, we, we didn't get that film. And then of course that was brutal. That, that whole experience of like, wow, look how successful this movie is. And it could have been our movie. Yeah. Um, and we recognize that too. You know, we, we, you know, uh, and when other people, you know, had been passed on that movie before it got into Sundance and whatever, but, th- th- you know, but those are the kind of experiences you have. Um, uh, and it's, and, and there are films that we, we just completely miss where you know, I won't mention, but they came through our doors and we saw them and we were like, yeah, whatever. And then they became big, you know, not, that was very rare, but yeah. it did happen one, once or twice. Um, and then you have films like George Washington where you go, wow, this is great. Should we get involved? This is a talented filmmaker. We kind of did some work on it, but we never really, we didn't really get involved. And, and, um, and that would have been a, you know, a, a nice film to have in our hat. It wouldn't have made us a, a ton of money maybe, but it would have been just nice to, and there were a lot of films like in, the, in that category that we didn't get involved with. So I don't know. It's a, it's a tricky kind of a, it's a really difficult business to be in doing that kind of stuff. Let me ask you with the, um, because you were you know, boots on the ground, your your hands were you know messy from that era of like there's still like harkens back to sort of like 
uh, maybe it's like the second wave of independent film gold, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. like maybe the first was like the early nineties and stuff. It's like the second wave. Yeah. There seems to be, if you kind of a little bit like looking back in history, there were sort of these champions of the independent film era of like the, the John Slosses, the Ted Hopes, the Peter Broderick's, you know, things, things were that, like you said, like there's a, a Betty of talent that came through like next wave and like there was a betty of talent that came through you know earlier and like you know the, the formation of miramax and so on you've seen it then you, you're in the middle of it what is it now like is there it's so with so much content just like just barfed out all over the world like there's just so much now um, where do you see, um, or is there, or is there, or there's chatter or talk or, or uh, people identifying with sort of the next wave of like champions that help, um, you know, help discover that, um, that, that next wave of, of independent filmmakers or is this, there's, or, or there's no rules. Now it's just like, whoop, I, I'm just curious, like what you've seen, where we are now, um, of, of what you've seen the progression of. And- I think, I think the answer to that question starts with the, in with the, where these things end up going, because at back in the, those days, you know, there was one kind of path or there were maybe two paths for these kind of, for, for, for creative projects. Um, and now there's a million paths. And so it really kind of comes down to, you know, I mean, there, to get discovered or to make something really great. I mean, it's not, it's not now just a, a, a low budget feature that gets into Sundance. It might be a YouTube channel that's filled with, you know, that could be a web series or just, or just, you know, like, like short form YouTube stuff or, or maybe um, some kind of TV thing or whatever. I mean, I think that's what it's so splintered and so, uh, you know, the, what's the word, uh, you know, um, fragmented that I think it's, it's, it's hard to answer that question from, from both sides of it, from where you find the talent and, and, and then from where and what that talent's going to be doing, and creating and where is that going to end up? Because that it certainly, you know, if you're talking about, I'm really just interested in finding um, the next, uh, you know, Paul Thomas Anderson or so. Let's pick pick your favorite kind of arty filmmaker, you know, mm-hmm. who makes who makes you know m- movies at a, at a higher level now, but they're still considered kind of art artistic. Um, uh, so or link, you know, link Rick, Rick Linklater or something like mm-hmm. that. Then I think you have to. Then I think you can still go back to the old places. Uh, Sundance is still a great place for that. Um, Sundance still programs these movies that, and I go every year and I see try to see as many of the next films as I can because those are the ones that are kind of fall into what I try to do. Um, and uh, so those films are still very quote difficult. They're not commercial necessarily. You have a couple like Obvious Child that's kind of commercial, but a lot of them are not very commercial. They're, they're artistic. I mean, like, like James White, you know, is a film that kind of broke out a little bit, not much, but a little bit from the year before. And, and, you know, that's a, not an easy film. That's not a commercial movie. Uh, and, um, so if you're looking for that kind of a talent, then I think the Sundance pool South by Southwest, these kind of film festivals are still the place to kind of go. And then you find these people that can make a certain kind of a movie and, and, um, and, and, and they'll never make something maybe very commercial or who knows. I mean, I, I don't look at Colin Trevor, but that, that may be wrong to say that, but, um, but, but there's just so much more content out there that to limit yourself to that. I mean, there's people that are creating stuff on YouTube that have nothing to do with that kind of artwork. Um, mm-hmm. And um, so I think that's, it's uh there's, you can be kind of anywhere. It just depends on what you're kind of looking for at the, at the end of the um, process at the end of the, yeah. the end of the day. What was your, this is kind of a loaded question, but like, what is the, 
from all those experiences, like working at Roger Corman's studio, working with Peter Broderick, working with all those upcoming, you know, super, you know, future superstar directors, you know, um, during Next Wave, and watching the transition, you know, coming out of like 2002, as as we got, you know, at the last few years, it's just the um, the advent of the internet, the advent of the crowdfunding, all these types of things. From those people that you've been working with for so long, has there been a common thread amongst those who um, have succeeded in what we, from the outside perspective, as filmmakers going, oh, I would love to have a career like, you know, Christopher Nolan or, you know, uh, Darren, uh, I can't pronounce his last name. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> uh, you know, or like all these other particular directors, like, um, is there something, a common thread that you saw while you were in the midst of it now that you've, you know, it's been several years uh, removed from it that you can uh, take away that, that, that you, that still holds true with, to you, that this is something you can learn that maybe you could pass on to the. Uh, yeah. You know, I don't, I, I think that's a, it is a hard question and I don't know if, I don't think I have an answer. I mean, I mm-hmm. like, for instance, you know, did when I was working with Chris and he was living in a kind of shitty, you know, one bedroom apartment with him, you know, did I know that he was going to be the next Spielberg or something? I mean, we knew he was talented and he was incredibly smart. Um, but I don't think anyone could say, you know, it, that was a surprise you know, yeah. to say that he would be the, one of the biggest filmmakers in Hollywood. I mean, it's not a surprise. Like it's not a shock. It doesn't, it makes sense. It's just that you, it's, it's really impossible, I think, to look and, and there, and there were other talented people who, who didn't reach that point too, where you just kind of go, well, what's the deal there? I, I don't know the, the secret to that kind of success. I mean, again, he's a genius probably. And he, he's very focused. And we talked about focus earlier. Yeah. Um, he's, he's incredibly focused and he has people around him that help, help allow him to help him be focused. I mean, Emma, especially Emma's uh, amazing. She's such an, a great, she's so sweet and, and warm and smart and, you know, whatever. And, and, um, and she, she, she's definitely like his, one of his secret weapons, but, but, you know, he and his brother and he has other, you know, people around him, but, um, but, you know, David Gordon Green, completely different type of person, yeah. um, you know, was very, friendly with David and, and I'm still friends with him, but I don't see him like I did back then. I mean, we used to hang out, you know, a little bit and, um, uh, very different kind of a person and, and his own, maybe is a, a genius in his own way, but it's, it's really hard to tell. And, and I think everybody's kind of different, but, um, uh, so I don't, I don't know. I, I can tell you this cause I, I heard this question asked to somebody who has a better perspective than I do. Um, I was at a, a lecture that this guy gave, um, I have his book, but I'm, because I can't remember his name. He was a UCLA professor. He's famous UCLA professor who I think started the the graduate film program there, you know, a million years ago. And he had written a book um, finally about, it's a kind of an interesting book about his experiences and it's little nuggets. It's just like each chapter is like maybe a page and a half of kind of nuggets. Um, and he did this great lecture um, about kind of what all successful movies have in common kind of thing, mm-hmm. which is really interesting. Um, but he he also talked about this, you know, when he had this book that people had over the years, people had uh, been asking him, well, you know, you you taught, you know, all these amazing, talented people, you know, <laughs> yeah. starting with Coppola, really, because that was kind of his thing, Coppola. And, um, you know, what is it? What's that thing that they that they all have in common? And, that, you know, the talent, one, you know, the, the ones that make it big have in common that the other ones didn't, you know, whatever. And he, he said, you know, I never wanted to answer that question. And and, and, and then I thought about it. I thought, the reason I don't answer because I don't really know the an- answer. And so I had to really with this book came out, I had to come up with an answer. And so I really thought about it. And if I had to answer that question, it's perseverance. Hmm. It's that it's not that Coppola was more of a genius than let's say Joe Blow who didn't make it. 
um, who was also a genius, but he never, we, we don't know his name now. Um, it's that Coppola had the ability to fail and maybe fail miserably and get back up and, and do it again. And, and we don't, you know, these failures we don't see. And I can tell you the little that I do know about that, like Chris Nolan made a movie before following uh-huh. that he told me about that. He, I think he's maybe mentioned it in some other stuff, but you know, it, for a long time, it, no one knew that there was another Chris Nolan feature that never got finished. He just abandoned it. It didn't work out. And, and um, you know, rather than say, well, this isn't for me, I'm, I'm never, never going to be good at this or whatever. And I don't know how horrible a mistake it was. I mean, maybe it was a disaster in 10 different ways, but he got up and he made following it and following was a really difficult movie to make. I mean, if you know the story behind following. And so, yeah, you got it. Yeah, you and Dave Bulls go had a good. Yeah, line. sure. So I'll yeah. make sure to, to make sure people get a chance to listen to that. But for yeah. sure, go ahead. Yeah. So so you know, and I know because I've had like the Duplass brothers in my class. I had Jay Duplass in my class, and he talked a lot. This is before I started hearing about this because he's now they they do a lot of speeches and stuff, but. He had talked about the features that they made before Puppy Chair. I didn't know they had any features before Puppy Chair. They made these features that were disaster that they abandoned and they just they kept going. And and uh, and then you start to find out that there's a lot of people who made stuff that didn't work out and they picked themselves up. And it's really hard to do that. I mean, um, uh, the other great story because I I do talk about this um, in my classes a little bit is uh, Craig Brewer. You know, Craig Brewer famously. I mean, I think it's on his DVD extras for for um, for. Um, Hustle and Flow, where he tried to make a movie for like $30,000 and it was a complete disaster. And, he, you know, he, he told us this whole story when we were working with him because mm-hmm. um, we didn't end up doing his first movie, which is The Poor and the Hungry. But we, we as far as giving it finishing funds, but we love the movie and we, we encouraged the IF, uh, Independent Film Channel to license it. And so he ended up that played on the Independent Film Channel, this little movie that no one's really seen. But, uh, but you know, he, he decided um, uh, to you know, after losing all this money that his, uh, uh, to, to, you know, try it again and, and, and make something for no money, which was, which was the poor and hungry. And so, um, you know, that, that's, I think you hear that story a lot. And, and so per- perseverance, it's one of those things that doesn't get a lot of, enough credit, but it's just, it's really hard to fail and get back up and try to do it again. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I definitely agree that there, there, I follow a lot of these online entrepreneurs and there's this thing that they discovered it's the same thing, perseverance, just change the word, but they use the word grit. There's like, you got to have that, the one like common factor of all these people uh, is just grit, just yeah. muscle through, power through. Uh, you, you know, yeah. and your confidence is challenged throughout that process. I mean, I have to think that, I mean, you wonder about like someone like Chris who seems supremely confident. I mean, he really is when you're when you when you're around him. But I, those moments when you fail have to challenge your confidence and and, you know, you talk about the you know, sports stars and people like that who always talk about confidence. You're like, why does LeBron James worry about confidence? Really? And, you know, it's like hmm. that, that that's just one of those things that we all suffer from. You know, this like, you know, we're always put to the test and maybe we're not that great. And, you know, and, and uh, your, your confidence can get shaken. And so it, it, that's, you know, that's, I think, the same for even the geniuses out there. So, yeah, definitely. So what happened you know, so after next wave, what what was the the seed for wanting to start uh, no budget film school? And you know, yeah, that that was really um, it was m- partly my experience in next wave and partly the experience of making true love. I had I had learned so many things from true love. Um, I mean, I you know I hadn't really done that before. Uh, made a movie like that. I had I had ran a theater for five years and had done like DIY theater mm-hmm. and understood and I you know made my own little films in college and stuff, but which were very you know very tiny 
you know, they didn't have any budgets or whatever, but, and I had, you know, so I had kind of created stuff involving other people and making stuff, but, um, um, but not a film, not a feature film really. I had worked very, you know, on, as a first AD or UPM on films like that, um, and, and, or had three or four jobs on films like that, but I, they weren't my creations um, when I was at Corman and, and then these films that I was doing around that Corman time. Um, and then I was at Next Wave and I wasn't producing movies and I wasn't, you know, doing that kind of stuff for six years. And But I was learning and, and learning some things that I think are crucial um, that have nothing to do with like nuts and bolts producing things like what's most important about your film. What you, if you have $10,000, what should you focus on? Is it, you know, getting the best camera and making it look great or is it something else? And I think you probably know the answer to that. Um, but, (laughs) but so, so, so true love was really my kind of first foray foray into like really producing something and kind of applying a lot of different things that I thought I knew and whatever. And so, you know, I made some mistakes and I learned some things and I, a lot of things worked well that I was kind of shocked they work and worked. And so that was the beginning of it. And then I was asked, uh, Jacques Telemach asked me to do a presentation for, a, for like an event he was putting on, um, like an all day event. He wanted me to do some kind of a, a presentation for it. Um, and I'd been doing presentations for years when I was at Next Wave. We'd, we'd done these clip presentations um, talking about digital filmmaking when digital filmmaking was, when people were poo-pooing that. And yeah. Peter was way ahead of the curve on that one. Like he was really one of the first people to to uh, other than you know Thomas Vinterberg or whatever that to, to to say this is the future and we we put that presentation together right after Can right after he got back from Can after seeing Celebration or whatever so I've been doing those presentations and I'd done a, uh, I taught a like film uh, uh, what's that um, An extension course? The, I'd done an ex- extension we'd done a couple of those and we'd done I'd done a main workshop on on low budget filmmaking and it was kind of just. Uh, pushing the model that Peter had kind of come, uh, written in his some of his early articles, right? And right. then um, I'd done a learning annex class. That's what it was. Okay. So I kind of built a class that was based on on some of the more like what uh, what Peter had had kind of been talking about. Um, and then um, so when I did this presentation, I kind of built something new that was based on again what I'd learned at Next Wave and what I'd learned doing True Love and and um, and I was I think the thing that was st- still shocking to me in two thousand when I did that presentation the first time at the end of 2004 was just that I still had to tell people this stuff. It's just, I, I couldn't believe that after all these years that they still didn't know that these were, the, these were the important things and these things weren't important and this kind of stuff. And so I'm like, you know, maybe I could teach a, uh, like a class and, and, um, now I kind of don't remember exactly, <laughs> but at some point I said, I'm going to teach a class, you know, and, um, it's going to be a two day class and, you know, go to Raleigh and do it. Um, um, and I remember I had also done a, a something for film independent around that same time um, that kind of forced me to put together some materials that ended up using the class as well. That was uh, right. Well, I was when I was already decided to do the class. So it was around that time. And it, and it really came out of also just having this knowledge that I thought was useful. I thought people still didn't know um, and being and getting kind of paid, paid to, to know it because when you make your own movies and you know that stuff, you're not getting paid to know it. Um, you, you know, you do a lot of work and you don't ever get paid. So it was like, I can monetize some of this kind of unique knowledge that is hard to monetize any other way. I mean, it's not like, you know, no studio is going to hire me to, to work at their company because of this stuff that I know. And yeah. so, um, so the great thing about no budget film school is that it not only allowed me to kind of, you know, quantify some of those things. And I, look, it's a lot of stuff from, from what Peter, had had come up with in the early 90s 
mixed in with my own like observations um, and then refined over the years. And now, now I have kind of my own, now I can't even remember where I got some of the stuff, you know, like, did I come up with that? Or did Peter come up with that? Who, who, that's a really brilliant little thing. And I, and I, and I can't remember whose, whose idea it was, but, um, um, but uh, you know, I, 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 I love teaching that class and I wish I had more time to spend on a budget film school. The joke, if you've ever been to my website is that, you know, I'm, I'd say I'm going to have a new website and it's true. I, I, I've already spent the money. I just haven't had time to, to do it. And that website is 11 years old. And when I built it, and I'm not a web designer, uh, clearly, I built it 11 years ago and it was old looking then. That means it's like a million years old in like internet years. Um, this really ugly website that, you know, that has good content on it or whatever. But I've just been so busy the last several years that I haven't been able to, you know, and this is like part of my problem with delegating. It's like I, I kind of have a vision of what that site should be and blah, blah, blah. And I already spent the money on, on this thing. Um, and just haven't had the time to focus, to really sit down and focus. And I mean, I probably should have two years ago kind of done a half-assed job and it would have been way better than sitting on the old site for this long. But that's just not, it's hard for me to work like that as we yeah. were kind of talking about before. But um, but anyway, but you know, I, I love doing it. I just, I but I, it's gotten in the last several years where I have all these films and you never, you never leave a film behind, you know. Yeah. You know, I'm still do work on with Pig. I mean, it's not a lot, but I I do you know I do have to continue to to do work on it and um and House of Jack built and Driver X and so um you you know I'm working on a new movie that I'm prepping for June that's that's not with Henry. This is something I was hired to do for uh, for the kind of the first time. But um you know and you you just get busy and you, you know I teach a class and then I then I don't look, then I'm right back into the other stuff that I'm doing and I never get a chance to really, if I could take like a year off, I could build a great website, maybe do an online class, you know, all these things that people do now. Yeah. I just haven't had time to do. And, and my class is kind of built and I update it, you know, each time and I have guest speakers that come in and, and I do, there is work to do each time I do it, but it's certainly not like building a whole new class. I have ideas for a whole new classes. I just haven't had time to to really sit down and build them and I want them to be great and you know, that kind of thing. So is it no budget film school? Is it normally like a two day session? Um, or does it, does it, is it like a one day or two? I think it's a two day, right? You have like normally like on the first day you offer these sort of concepts or strategies or topics before you get into sort of like the nuts and bolts on the second day. Yeah. Um, that's, that's generally how I, how you can describe it. It's a, it's not quite as clear cut as that, but mm-hmm. yeah, it's two day class. I mean, I, I talk about them as two different classes. The first day is the, the art of no budget filmmaking. And the second day is the science of no budget filmmaking. And and most people do both days, um, which is the art and science of no budget filmmaking. That's my kind of flagship class. And that's what I've been doing for, for 11 years. And again, you know, uh, up, updating it and refining it. Um, and I add little things each time. And, and, um, and of course, you know, I talk about if I'm talking about technology, which is not a big thing that I talk about, but I certainly, I do a little bit on cameras and update that. And, and, um, but for the most part, the principles are stayed the same. I mean, especially for the, um, the art of no budget filmmaking, which I, you know, I cover these kind of big ideas that, if you don't get those ideas, you're never going to make a no budget film. I mean, people think <laughs> people think it's about like, oh, I have this two hundred thousand dollar movie. How can I make it for fifty thousand dollars? And it's like, you know, if you don't follow these these big principles, these big guidelines, you'll, you you can't do it because it's a radical reworking of what you're doing, mm-hmm. and it's not just trimming away at every little line item to get down to fifty thousand dollars. You have to radically rethink a project to make a fifty thousand dollar film. Films, no budget films. I mean, low budget films want to be around $150,000. Um, that's just what they want to be. If you start to add up what it costs to pay for things, mm-hmm. um, 
starting with the actors, which is a you know that's a defined cost. If you're using SAG actors, it's 100 and, you know 37.50 plus you know if they have an agent plus uh, plus fringes, it comes out to be about 200 dollars a day for an eight hour day. Um, uh, and more if it's 12 hour day, you know, that's a defined number. Everything else, you know, it has kind of a number that you can, that people expect, you know, maybe it's $125 a day for a crew member. Now, um, you know, there's gear costs a certain amount, even if you're really just at the lowest levels, um, but you pay for everything and you do it quote conventionally and you shoot for 15 to 18 days, which I would never recommend shooting that little, but, um, but that's what people do on these budgets. You know, it just, these films cost like $150,000 to shoot, maybe 120 to 150 and then post, you know, whatever. And so if you're going to make it for $10,000 or $50,000, $50,000 sounds like a lot of money, but that's a radical change you have to go through. You can't do, you can't pay for everything and you can't, you know, follow that template. And so, um, I think the most important things I talk about are g- way before any of the nuts and bolts, way before like here's how the SAG ultra low budget contract works and here's how, you know, here's how you get crew members to work for nothing or work for very little or, you know, whatever. Those are things I, I certainly talk about, um, cameras and things like that. But the but these two big principles, which is embracing your limitations, which I spend a, a lot of time talking about and and uh, go into some depth and then um, and then working within the framework of available resources, which is the, the whole key, you know, that's yeah. everything. Um, so, and you know that, uh, <laughs> I've heard, heard you talk about that stuff. So, yeah. um, I mean, you just can't make a film for, you can make a, a great $5,000 film and, you know, I can point you in the direction of some, um, but they were all made completely from resources that they had available to them. And, and with this other thing that I, I talk about in my class, which is refuse to spend money to make a $5,000 film, you have to, not spend money 99% of the time, you know, and then you'll still spend $5,000, but, mm-hmm. but you have to say at every, at every decision, you have to say, I'm not going to spend money on the, to solve this problem. Um, if you have a hundred thousand dollars, you can, you can do it maybe 50% of the time or something, but you still have to do it. Um, so, uh, those, if, if I, if someone doesn't sit down and listen to that stuff, they can't go and make a, a film, uh, for, for, for quote, no money. It's just not, it's just impossible. Yeah. It's not, not, not a, there's not a way to do it. And I know because I'm about to, embark on a film um, <laughs> that they hired me because they want to make it for 250 and it's like a million dollar film and it's like this is not a there, there's not one thing about the way the script was written that that allows me to do what I do and I don't know how we're going to do it but I mean I'm going to give it a shot I mean I'm, mm-hmm. you know, it's a great script I'm really excited about the movie um, so we'll see um, if I can kind of add something that to that process but it's you know it, it, we, we have to get a little bit radical to, to, to make that movie for um, for the kind of money we're talking about making it. And Driver X, I look at Driver X as, you know, I never, I haven't technically made a, a film, a no budget film the way I teach it. Um, uh, we, we're, we're borrowing a lot of the ideas that I teach, but Henry, you know, always writes something in that I don't have or we have to figure out. And it's, and it's fun to do that. Um, True yeah. Love had a couple of those things. Um, but, you know, certainly we're following in general the kind of principles. And, and with Driver X, it was easy because when he pitched that to me, um, when we started talking about it as a film and, he, you know, we were working on a bigger film at the time. We started talking about it as a film. He was driving for Uber and he was like, you know, there might be a movie here. Um, it just instantly clicked in my brain. Of course, there's a movie. You know, we own the car. We're going to shoot it in your car when we, you know, it's, it's going to be about a stay at home dad who has a wife and two kids. Well, we're going to use your house, maybe your two kids and maybe your wife. I mean, she's an actress and you have two kids and they've acted before. You know, we ended up not doing it that way. We ended up, you know, uh, 
um, hiring an actress and changing the kids, you know, to be different kids, um, slightly different, you know, girls instead of boys or whatever. But, um, but we did shoot in his house. And so all of a sudden I'm, it's that in the back of my head, kind of critical mass we're, we're, we're getting to the critical mass. We, 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 we knew exactly who we wanted for the lead actor. So that was the big thing. And so all of a sudden I'm like, I feel like we're 85% there. Let's, let's go for it. And, and I, and I don't know when I make that decision, let's go for it. If we're going to be able to pull it off because, I'm not, when I budget a film like that, I'm not adding up what things cost. Yeah. I'm saying, I'm thinking I want to spend about $50,000 to shoot this and maybe $50,000 to post it. And, and let's see if I can pencil that out and make it work. And, and the, your budget becomes a priority list. It's, it's not what things cost. I mean, it is when you're talking about actors, um, cause we're going to work with SAG actors and that has a particular cost, um, yeah. that you can, you know, that's the same, but locations, it's like, you know, I, I've got to find all these things that he's written in the script for free or pay very little, you know, or, and, and it becomes how much is, are these locations worth it, worth it to me? Well, this location is not that important. I'm not going to put any money to that. I'm going to have to find it for free or we're just going to figure it out. This location is super critical to the movie. It needs to be great. And we, I, you know, and I don't have that in the back of my, pocket i don't know where we're going to get it i am going to put some money to that because that that's where the money should go in this particular movie so that that's it becomes a priority list yeah definitely with your um the students that come through no budget film school is there a common do you see like a commonality between like when they start the the school the, the class the courses to where they transform at the end of it is there is there like a common problem that they all seem to to show up with that you discovered that over time it's like ah this just seems to be the, the thing that everybody struggles with. Well, the first one is just they don't make they don't make their film. You know, mm-hmm. I mean they they want to, and life gets in the way, or different. There's different reasons for why people you know don't ultimately go make something. I mean, my one of the first goals in my class is to inspire people to just go out and make something. Don't don't worry about the result. You know, think about make it process oriented. And there's and I have great quotes from some people who are smarter than I am that have you know talked about this. Um, you know, talk, starting with like Jay Duplass or or Ted Hope have some great quotes about like just go just go make something and find out who you, what kind of filmmaker you are. You're not going to find that out on your first movie. You're going to you know need to make a few things. And then start. You'll start to find your voice and find out what you uniquely have to offer the world, which is the kind of way Jay talks about it. Um, so that's my first thing: is like just go make something. Don't get hung up on a lot of things, and and especially don't get hung up on these two or three things that everybody gets hung up on, like just technology and cameras and these kind of things that really just don't they don't make the difference at all. Um, I always have that conversation. That's certainly one of them. Um, but. Um, so I think that's probably the the big thing. And then, you know, it's hard to make a good movie and not everybody's super talented and you have to be talented to make a really good movie, I think, or, you know, lucky and talented and these kinds of things. But that shouldn't, if you really want to make a movie, that shouldn't stop you from making a movie that maybe you're not talented enough. And those people that take my class, I, I go through this whole thing. It's kind of, it's a fun thing. It's a funny joke thing that I do at the beginning of the class, but it's basically getting to the idea that you guys are going to make these films no matter if I tell you that you're not talented or I tell you you're going to lose all your money and I, you know, guarantee, you know, <laughs> that you're going to do that, you're still going to go make your films, right? I mean, I, I have a funnier way of kind of doing that, but, and they all raise their hand. Of course, they're going to, they want to go make their films, you know? And so my thing is like, go make your film. Don't spend a lot of money on it. Don't spend money that you don't have. Um, don't, you know, don't put it on credit cards and this kind of stuff. And don't worry so much about, you know, if you, if you make a $5,000 film and and you have $5,000 to lose and you, and it, and it doesn't work out, you can get back up again and do it again. Um, if you make a half a million dollar film and you borrowed it from every family member and friend you had, and then it fails, 
you know, that's really hard to get back from. I remember when I was at a panel years and years ago, I'll never forget this. Um, it says, you know, when you, this guy was on this panel and he said, when you borrow money from your, you know, and lose it, you know, from your, um, now, um, your former friends and your now distant relatives, you know, (laughs) um, because when you lose their money, it's like, you know, that's not pretty. Um, so, um, but, uh, uh, some people, you know, they go out and they make stuff and they send it to me. And I mean, I, I'm, you know, always love to see my students and see what they're doing. And sometimes it's not that great. And sometimes it's, it's pretty great. You know, I mean, uh, Blake Robbins, uh, who's one of my favorite, you know, one of my star students, you know, star pupils or whatever. And he's a veteran actor who took my class and, um, was getting ready to make a movie and, um, went to Kansas and shot this thing for very little and, um, did wore a ton of hats and, you know, it's a great movie that's called The Sublime and Beautiful and, and um, got into slam dance and, and um, uh, got distribution. And, and then maybe the, you know, the kind of real prize that you're after, which is not money. I don't know if that movie is going to make its money back or not, even though they didn't spend very much. The real prize is that he he's imposed on a three million dollar movie that he was hired to direct off of that off of that movie. So this is actor who'd been only known for playing certain kind of roles and stuff, wrote and directed a movie that probably a lot of people haven't seen or heard of, but it got him the opportunity to, to, to do a bigger movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and also from the acting side, cause he's the lead actor in sublime and beautiful. He's, you know, people look at him now differently as an actor and go, wow, he can really do this. Cause he was, you know, doing a different kind of role. He's a character actor that was always kind of cast a certain way. And so, you know, those are the opportunities that, you know, I try to tell people that's what you're after. You're not after fame and fortune on that first movie. It just, it rarely ever happens. It happens enough for people to hang on to that idea. But, but it, you know, mostly these people that are successful that you, we all talk about, you know, made something that we haven't seen that got them to the next level, even though that, that film that got them to the next level, you know, most people aren't even familiar with it. So. Yeah, definitely. I think, um, I definitely, as we wrap up here for it, cause I know you have tons of stuff going on. <laughs> <laughs> um, I definitely want to get into driver X, but before we do that, I it's interesting the working relationship you have with Henry because, like you said, you first saw somebody, um, and you know that got into you guys. I apparently got to help get that into Sundance, and then I'm assuming because he once you get like in that little family of Sundance, it seems from the outside perspective, once you get your in, there's you have a better shot if you network correctly that you like you know for Henry to be invited to like the screenwriters lab and work on true love there like you said it was workshopped where you got to see it in this full production and you're like mm-hmm. okay and, I, and that was interesting because it was like 2004 i think that's uh so there were some ma- major transitions like you said next wave had then dissolved uh the independent film scene was changing digital was on, on the rise um and all of a sudden now crowdfunding comes into play and then you guys do pig where you were very successful at getting it crowdfunded uh, through Kickstarter. And I think you had mentioned in one of the other interviews you've had on, my, on either Dave Bolsa's podcast or Christopher Holland's about how um, you were able, it also, you know, a little serendipitously, that's not even a word, <laughs> but it's, a, <laughs> it's, it's word. The, but I think that you were mentioning like Veronica Mars was happening at the same time at Kickstarter, which then I think helped. Um, they, that was on the second, on the second campaign for House oh, of Jack Bill. There he goes. Uh, Thank yep. you. So, they, but boom, you, you went from like Pig with Kickstarter then to the second one with House of Jack built and now we're on Driver X through Kickstarter. Um, what is the, there's a weird question, but what is the bigger, stepping back and looking at the bigger picture of things, the, the idea is, is the end goal just to get 
distribution in terms of selling a film and then you're done because then you have to start all over again. And if I, you know what I mean? It's like, as you know, uh, and the way I understand the economics of film. So people like listening in right now and be like, well, what is the goal? Like the, like the goal, like if I'm going to make the economics or how am I going to make the sustainable living? The way I understand it is the reason why certain producers, you know, need to get a bigger budget is because within the budget is everybody's salary or their fee. So if the DP or the grip or the writer or the director or the producers, there's a fee within that you know, within that budget. A that, fee for producers? I, and a budget? Yes. <laughs> so I've never then, seen that. Or the so, director or the writer. Right. So as, when you're talking about no budget filmmaking, you're like, I don't know what you're talking about. But but I mean, the overall concept there is then, then, then everybody gets their, their fee. And sometimes the producers, certain, you know, because there's different level of producers. And there might be one producers that's cutting the deal where they're deciding that they're going to get a much bigger fee once the thing is finished and sold. Um, whatever relationships they have. And then they're on to the, so they're basically made a deal. It's like a yeah. real estate deal. Like, Oh, Hey, I found this house. I fixed it up. I flipped it and I made yeah, and X walk, money, away. Yeah. walk yeah. away. And I got to find another house to fix up and flip. So it's kind of like now we're filmmakers. Like I made, you know, we create, we raised the budget. We got all this financing. Everybody got their fee. I was able to sell it and made my, my cash from that deal. And now I'm on to the next one. Um, what is it that you're that you're beginning to see in terms of going from one crowd successful crowdfunding campaign to the next to this you know the next in terms of getting films made that way is the goal to just get it uh, sold so that they get some money back to or is there something more sustainable that that you're beginning to tap into uh, that allows you to I don't know like we said we mentioned earlier to, to have your slate of films you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. I, you know, I, that's a really good question. Cause I, I don't think a lot about it. <laughs> to be honest to know the answer. Right? I mean, it should well, be was, like was, an was... obvious answer, but I think it's probably, I mean, for Henry, it'd be easy to say, you know, Henry would love to be directing episodes of, uh, you know, better call Saul or some mm-hmm. TV, you know, some great TV show or something. Um, notice how I slipped the better call Saul plug in there. Oh no, no, um, we're going to get to that. Um, yeah. yeah. But, no, it's um, <laughs> no, good you know, though. I mean, it's, he, it's a great know, show. He, he has two kids and a family and a mortgage and he would love to, you know, be paid to direct and he's a terrific director and he's a great writer and he should be getting paid to do that stuff. So I, th- you know, I think every time we go out, we hope that the film will be successful enough and, and look, it doesn't help that he's older, uh, if he were 22, you know, again, he would have an agent and all this stuff. It's much harder to get an agent when you're older, even if you're making, you know, even if you know what you're doing because you have experience now and you make stuff that's successful at some level. I mean, you know, the, these films that we've been doing, you know, while I didn't get into Sundance, the last, you know, three films, uh, um, they were successful in their own way. I mean, House of Jack Build, you know, uh, premiered at LA Film Festival and won a bunch of awards over the you know year and a half and and, um, and got distribution and is theatrical distribution and it's on Netflix, but it, it didn't get him an, an agent, you know? I mean, what are you going to do? And then Pig played 40 festivals and won 10 awards, and but it didn't get into Sundance and, it, mm-hmm. you know, and and so he didn't get an agent. I, I, I can't answer like how, why he doesn't have an agent and why he's not getting paid to do stuff because um, it's just a weird business. But um, but I know that that's certainly one of his goals. But it's also just, we just like making stuff. I mean, that's why mm-hmm. we're doing it. I don't, I don't, and I like making stuff a certain way. Like I, I think filmmaking is so hard. It's, I, I, it's going to be really interesting to see how well I do making a film for somebody else, this new film that I'm doing, because I like doing it for myself because it's just hard. And I think, you know, 
I, I don't know. I, I think there's other things I would rather do with my time than, you know, to like work in a bad experience, you know, <laughs> um, on making a movie, like, you know, getting, just getting paid to do it and you know, on some crappy movie you don't give a shit about. Um, and, and then walking away, I, I, I would do something else. I have, I mean, I was a business major. I could do, I could, you know, be an accountant or something and, and get paid and whatever. I, you know, I, there's other things to do in my time. I think for me, the thing that I get really excited about with these projects it's a it's a goes w- really deep and way back it's just i really enjoy making something that i'm proud of that i think other people will like and getting a chance to kind of show them that thing and that can be online but it really it's great when you can go to a festival and you can and you really got something that you're proud of and you're like you know you know it works and you know that the that you can find that audience that's going to like it and you, it's that that's kind of what's what it's in it for me and it's not a very good it's not very responsible and <laughs> you don't make money doing it and you know and i and i tell my class and you know you're not making money doing this stuff I mean, that there's you've got other reasons to do it and and you know while there's certainly a part of me that says oh it'd be great if this film were a really big success in the way that some films can be like they break out at sundance or toronto or whatever then maybe i'll get maybe it'll be easier for me to make the next one i don't have to put it on credit cards or borrow you know borrow money to do it um but i don't have big i think for me personally i don't have big like ideas that I need to make. Like I don't have that $150 million movie that I'm dying to make. I like making these little movies. I would, I would love to make a living doing them because it is really hard and, and it's hard to pay your rent and, and, um, and it's hard to do everything yourself. Um, but, but I kind of also like doing everything myself and I don't know how well I would do if I, if I had a little bit more money, uh, there's a part of me that says you, you just don't, you shouldn't spend that much money on this movie, you know, whatever. But, um, so I don't know. I don't, it's a hard, it's a hard question to answer, but I, you know, I get so much, so much gratification out of like this Kickstarter campaign for driver X. We just now, I mean, I've been so behind on this campaign, really. I mean, there's all these goals I had and things I wanted to do, but one of them was to, post something about the film on these, all these Uber groups, these Uber and yeah. Lyft groups on Facebook. There's like, I have a list of like 63 of them. I just now started to do that this week. I mean, I, you know, we're, we only have a week left on the campaign, but I've been so busy with other things. I couldn't get to that yet. And I didn't know if people were going to let me post on those pages, what they were going to say. If there were, you know, people on the internet are, can be awful. Right. So yes. <laughs> the first two or three I posted on these people like started sharing it and going and loving it. And a couple of people donated, you know, it was like, yes, that's exactly what we wanted. We, we made a film that was trying to be really authentic to the experience of, especially if you're a middle-aged man, you know, of doing this job. I mean, that's everything with us is authenticity. Every film, you know, we may not quite pull it off, but that's certainly the goal. And, 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 um, and, you know, we make these edit decisions. It's about like, that has to be real. That has to be what Henry went through when he was driving Uber. And so with, when they started to connect with it, we're like, yeah, it just felt so good. That's, that's why I'm in it, you know? And, or I, you know, I made this video, the, the, the Kickstarter video. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm a, still at the very heart of what I do, a frustrated filmmaker. I'm the guy that didn't, that didn't, who, t- who took Mark's class and didn't make a film, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and that's me. I mean, I wanted to make films. I was from th- from five years old. I made them when I was a little kid on a millimeter. And, and I used to, we did in third grade before we made them, we were practicing making them and stuff. And I did skits and I was that guy. And so, I, you know, I have a business background or, or mind for that stuff, I guess. And so I, you know, I, I'm producing is kind of a natural thing, but, but it's a certain kind of producing for me. It's not the, it's not flipping houses. It's like getting really in the dirt and, and Henry's, that's why I work with Henry. Cause we work so well together. He likes that I get in the dirt with him. 
Um, he, you know, he's very collaborative. We, you know, we, we argue, but when we argue, it's about the ideas and not about like, you always get your way, you know, it's none of that kind of stuff. <laughs> it's always like, you know, I think this is a better idea. Let's test it, you know, and, and we're very, you know, civil about those kinds of, of arguments, but he likes to collaborate. And so, um, when I, I wrote that Kickstarter video, I wrote it. Um, and you know, I mean, obviously Henry and Patrick came in and kind of collaborated with it on the writing of the video, but you know, I wrote that video. Um, it was, you know, kind of, I kind of quote directed it, I edited it. And when it started getting really good response, it's like, that's why I do it. I, I mean, just even that silly six minute, you know, video, you know, I, I love making that kind of stuff. And it's, and, and when you, when someone actually tells you it's good and you did a good job, you know, that's everything for me. I mean, um, and the fact that it actually is bringing in, helping bring in some money. I hope it, I assume it's helping bring in some money or, 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 or get people excited about the film. Cause that's probably the number one reason to do a Kickstarter campaign is just to get the awareness out there. But you know, that's even, that's even better. Um, so, and that, and maybe I am quote kind of getting paid for my work a little bit with that. Um, but, uh, I don't know. I just, I'm, ne- I'm not doing it for the money is, is kind of a big thing. And, and Henry and I like to, to make these things. We get excited about it. And there's some parts of the process I like better than others, but, um, but I know how to do most of the things. Um, and, um, and so I can't afford to pay people to do th- those things. So I do them myself and I get, that's a trap I get into every time, but you know, but that's, what are you going to do? And so, I mean, on this new film, I mean, where I'm just the producer, I'm actually hiring a line producer. I've never, I don't even know how you work with a line producer. I don't know what they do <laughs> I mean, I, or a production coordinator, or all these people that, you know, yeah. supposed to help you out. What am I supposed to do if they're, if I have all those people working for me, what, what do I do? I mean, I just don't know how to work that way, but I mean, we're going to see, I mean, I, it's, it's much more sustainable. I, I mean, what I do, I, we only make a few films, they, they, they happen every several, several years because the way we make them, you know, it's not flipping houses. You know, we're, we're not walking away from them. Um, uh, we, we, we put everything into them and there's no one else holding the bag. I mean, you know, there's, I can't walk away from, from pig because there's no one else holding the pig bag. And I am the only one holding the pig bag. I mean, Henry, Henry can kind of walk away cause that's not his job, you know, yeah. and, and, or Alex, my co-producer, they can, you know, and Alex still helping. We're still dealing with pig. We, we, our, our foreign sales company went bankrupt and now we're dealing with the, with the bankruptcy stuff and, and uh. figuring that out. So Alex is helping with, with, with that. Um, uh, which is, you know, that was a tragedy because we actually did make money, you know, and then we didn't get the money because the company went under. I mean, we made some of it, but you know, anyway, that's a whole other story. But so, uh, so yeah, I'm holding the bag. I, I'm responsible. I can't, I can't, I don't, there's not, there, I'm not the guy that just sweeps in, swoops in, makes the thing and walks away. I mean, I'm the guy left having to do the taxes and, and uh, you know, if we owe, owe investors money, you know, write them the checks and figure that stuff out every year and, you know, that kind of thing. So it's, yeah. uh, it's, you just, I, I don't know how you make 10 movies a year doing it that way. I mean, it's, 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 it's one every three or four years for me or something. So. <laughs> yeah. You're like, but, but you're doing, I mean, the, the breadth of the, the amount of films you've been working on, like that's, you know, it's tangible. It's there. You're it old, exists. You're old enough. No, to no, it's films under your belt. <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah. Look, if you're not waiting around for money, which is the, which is where people get stopped. I mean, mm-hmm. that's why you know we waited. We spent. We didn't make a movie in 2014 because we we farted around trying to get this bigger horror film off the ground, and it almost happened twice, and it didn't happen. And then we were like, wow, that was a lot of work, and we weren't going to get paid that much for the work anyway because the budget wasn't. You know, we we trimmed our fees down, and I, I I'm like, well. Th- First of all, I could have taught a class and made what I was going to make on that fee. And then, two, we didn't even end up with a movie. We, we were excited about the project. He worked really hard on the script. We wrote it a million times. I scheduled it two or three times. And we never didn't even have a movie. And so that was the big epiphany for me was like, 
I kind of like having a movie at the end of the day, even yeah. if we're not going to get paid. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, I told myself I would never make a film like Pig again. I, it was so hard for me physically. I hurt my back really bad, and mm-hmm. lifting, you know, stuff. And I'm getting older, and and it was just, it's just so hard. And then it's like, I guess having a baby where you forget like how hard, how much, how painful it was to give birth, and you want to have a baby again. So like a few years later, I mean, House of Jack built was a little different for me because I came on in a different point in the process. But um, but Pig, you know, was all encompassing from you know from that one sentence pitch all the way to where where I am now and Drive Rex is the same way and and I I just didn't think I was going to do it again and Drive Rex was harder mm. it was impossibly hard during stretches of it I think I still have kind of PTSD about it um because it was just so I just did too much myself and I and I you know I talk about this in my class like don't you know don't wear too many hats or whatever but um uh and so I I probably tell myself again I'll never do it like this again and um but who knows I mean you know you get down to it and you you forget <laughs> excited about the idea and you want to make another movie so i don't know we have that little thing in our brains that that closes that off that pain point i guess it's like it's like a you know caveman thing or something yeah what is the what has been the biggest feedback uh takeaway since for the driver x campaign uh has people just say go you know go for it good luck or or is there something deeper that you've discovered um, I know I, I have my own answer, but I was um, I was just yeah, curious. I, I think certainly there there are first of all there are ride sharers who are like it's, they're seeing a, just a little bit because obviously there's not you know a whole movie there they're just seeing a little bit and they're they and they they're excited about that they're excited that someone's making a movie that I think they're excited especially that that person did it for over a year. And, you know, it's going to come from from the truth. I mean, we're not making a silly comedy about this and we're not making a it's not going to be collateral. There's not going to be someone getting shot in the car. It's very you know, it's not these aren't big things that happen. These are the things that normally happen. And and they're crazy and they're they're I think they're worthy of a movie, but they're not they're not it's not a studio version of this kind of a film. Yeah. Um, And then uh, we have a lot of uh, we have state better call Saul fans that love Patrick. Um, who are excited to see him do something where he can really sink his teeth. I mean, he's a terrific actor and mm-hmm. he gets typecast a lot as like the slick, you know, guy in a suit. And this is not, he's not that guy in this movie. He's so good though. I, I, he surprised me. I mean, we were happy to have him, you know, make the movie. I mean, when we decided we were going to use him and he wanted to do it and he's a friend and, but he is, he's so good in it. I just like, I was kind of shocked. I didn't know he was that good of an actor. He's yeah. a pro first of all, he's been doing it for so long. So, all the technical stuff he, you know, and you're an actor, so you know that technical stuff of like hitting your marks and and saying it slower, but and 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 <laughs> and doing it the same way every time, uh, so that you know it works for the coverage, but it feels fresh every time. I mean, he's just so good at that stuff. And you tell him one note, and he never forgets it. You know, um, he, he can give him five notes, and they they all somehow stay in his head. I don't know how actors do that, but but he's still, but he's so good, you know. And and then forget it. He's just been. We couldn't have made the movie without him. He's such an incredible partner. So, um, uh, so, uh, so I think that that's another thing. Um, I think people are responding to the, you know, the idea, just the overall idea of like, oh yeah, great. I, I, someone needs to make an Uber movie or, or a movie about, you know, drive. Not, you know, it's not Uber, but about ride sharing. And so I think that people are re- responding to that. And the thing that I think hopefully that people are responding to. I mean, we're getting a little bit of this is the stay at home dad thing mm-hmm. and the middle age thing uh, on the video. I know people. When I first started showing the video, people are like, wow, I really like that line about, you know, the kind of generations, this guy's Generation X and he's dealing with the generation behind him. I think for some people of a certain age, they're kind of responding to that. Yeah. And this this movie is, I mean, the ride sharing is there, but it's really a movie about being, you know, a 50-year-old guy and dealing with with marriage and, and fidelity and and changing gender roles and getting, you know, and 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 
coping with a world run by the generation behind you and all these kinds of things that, you know, that I'm starting to kind of go through myself that Henry and I are going through. And, and um, that's what I really hope, you know, we we're working really hard on the cut to make that be, you know, palpable um, and that you feel it and you understand it. And, and even if you're not, even if you are a millennial, you, you kind of get it, but certainly, and I think there's plenty for the millennials to, to, to enjoy in this movie. They get to see themselves in the backseat a lot of the time. Um, but, uh, but this is really a movie for a certain person, you know, who's going through this stuff. And I feel like there's a lot of people out there that are doing it and they're going to recognize this stuff. And, um, that's the most, that, that'll bring me the most, uh, joy from this process. If we can pull that off and we can feel it when we're starting to show the movie and, and whatever, you know. Yeah, I, I'm going to tell you that that was probably the linchpin there when I was watching this the six minute Kickstarter video. It was it was authentic. It was genuine. Uh, didn't feel you know too short, too long. And but the the message when you guys got into the heart of what the story was about Driver X, you know about yeah a generation of going especially for males going you know what where am I you know it's not it's, it's not a midlife crisis it's. There's a definite shift in in, in technology, in, in in your worth in the world, in your place in the world, and I thought that really, uh, you know, rang true. That that was that was the moment that I said, okay, yeah, I'm I'm donating. Awesome. I mean, that's that's exactly what we we hope to to bring with the final product, and we're working you know really hard to get there. And and you know, for me, I I was reading an article in Men's Health um, recently about the this is hopefully this is an off topic, but the the death rate for Americans for the last 30 years has gone down as you would expect, um, except for one group, and that's <laughs> middle-aged white males. Mm. And the nadir, the nadir, because you you actually you, 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 your happiness kind of goes down and then it goes back up. The nadir year is 52 years old, and I'm 51 and uh, almost a half, <laughs> so I've got six months of really if I can gut it out and make it past that, you know. So it's like, and the and the number one, there's a lot of reasons to this, but the number one thing is like is unmet aspirations. Mm-hmm. And I'm hitting that age where unmet uh, unmet aspirations are like, you, you know, you, you, you I, I'm not married on kids. So I'm not reminded that I'm old. I get reminded in weird ways. And I still feel like a 20 year old. I mean, I still look pretty good shape and all this and that. And, and then you realize, wait a second, I'm not 20. I'm, I missed these opportunities already. These things I still think I have time to do. Those are done. Those are gone. You, 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 and you get thrown off, you know, you get blown away by that, by those revelations at times. And you're like, and then it sets in that like, wow, I don't have that much time left. Uh, and, and, and quality time, geez, I have even much less than that to, to, to make my career happen or all these like things. And I, I guess I always expected that I would be this or this or this. Um, I mean, I know a lot of people go through that, you know, and, um, uh, and so, you know, we, we want to connect with those people. Certainly, you know, mm-hmm. um, it's not all about that, but there's, we want to make that visceral. I think when it, when it is about that. Well, that's why I think like you hitting up all, all those ride sharing, uh, groups and so on like that. I, I, I almost guarantee you this maybe 50% of the drivers can relate to that, this, that specific of a story that you guys have that you presented to driver X. It's just uh, well, I've it, driven with Leonard's. That's <laughs> Leonard's, Leonard's the lead, name of our lead character. I I drove with a guy who was absolutely Leonard. He was about the same age. He had kids. He was he was driving before, and he was going to clock off and go pick up his kids. And I'm like, dude, you've got to see this movie I'm working on. It you're gonna is so you're gonna love it. You're absolutely <laughs> gonna totally relate. And and uh, you know we're, t- we're trying to tell the truth here. We're not sending it up. 
you know, blah, blah, blah. I mean, and, you know, we send up the company a little bit. It's, it's a fictional company. Yeah. It's not Lyft or whatever. Um, and we have a little bit of fun, but, but mo- mostly we want you to recognize if you're, if you drive for Uber or Lyft, we want you to recognize those, those things too. It's not, we're not, uh, it's very honest. We're not, we're not ripping these companies. Um, uh, we're just telling it like it is, you know, and, and people have, you know, different relationship. Writers have a different relationship with the companies they work for. Some, some are really, thrilled, you know, that it helped them. And some are like, nah, you know, they're, they're making all the money. And I'm not, you know, whatever. I mean, we're not, we're not trying to, to tell you how to feel about that stuff. We're just kind of here. Here's how it is. This is how, this is the struggle. And this is, you know, it's good and it's bad. You know, it's, there's a lot of gray area when it comes to this whole, you know, any of these kind of sharing economy things, you know? Yeah, so. yeah, definitely. So we, at the time of this recording, um, I'll try to get it out uh, this afternoon, but um, you have seven days left in the campaign. Yeah, I haven't looked at my <laughs> latest. Let me look at my latest. Uh, yeah, let's see where we are. Um, this is what's so fun about Kickstarters. Like, so yeah, we're at twenty six thousand ninety one two hundred fifty four backers. So we we have seven days left. So we have a little less. We have nine thousand to go. Oh, someone just gave me fifty bucks. Wow. There you go. That's nice. Um, pops up on my phone. Um, so I think we're gonna make it. I'm pretty confident but we still you know we still got a ways to go i have a lot of friends that haven't given me yet that i'm that i'm going to be you know reminding but when we get down to the wire and and and, you know i I, you know but we're going to it's definitely going to require you know that kind of full full throttle all the way to the end kind of a thing i think that's so funny i'm just sitting here watching your site just update (laughs) with money money coming in oh there it goes yeah there it goes um just saw it too Um, um Two fifty five now, yeah. So cool. that, no, that's what's fun about doing Kickstarter is when you, you know, it's a little stressful, but you, you know, I love doing this. By the way, I have to say, I, I haven't been sleeping for a long for a while, and I mean, literally, I went through this stretch when I just to get it ready to get the campaign ready, and then when I, the first three or four days, where I, I was sleeping only when I couldn't keep my eyes open anymore, and it didn't matter what time of the day or night it was. So I was going to bed at like, you know, eight at night or or two in the afternoon and then sleeping like five hours and getting up. And I missed a day in there. Um, like I literally had, I, I didn't know if, it, if I should be eating dinner or lunch. Cause it, cause my hours were so off for like th- several, I mean, I have weird hours anyway, but it was this crazy thing where I, and I, I had no problem doing it. I mean, I just wish I didn't have to sleep because I don't drink caffeine or take drugs or whatever. So I, I, you know, I, I, I can stay up for really long periods of time. I was staying, I stayed up for 32 hours then slept for like five hours and stayed for like 26 hours and slept for four or five hours and slept for like 20, you know, there was up for like 24 hours. I can do that for some reason, even my age, I don't know how I can still do it. I mean, it's probably, I'll probably have a stroke or something at some point <laughs> that'll answer that question. Um, but I just love doing this. I mean, it's fun. I mean, it's not the money really even, uh, it's just, it's getting the word out. I mean, it's like, you know, you've got something that you're excited to share and you want to share it. And, and, um, um, I have a lot of, friends and different kinds of people we want to try to share this with. And I haven't, I've done, I don't know, 60% of the work. I'm not, I'm going to in this campaign, having not done all the different things I wanted to do, which is, you know, which will be my big, my biggest frustration, you know, I mean, I feel like we're going to, we're going to reach our goal, but there were just, there were just too many things and I had too many things on my plate and I couldn't get it all done, you know? So what are you going to do? Well, grit. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. that's all we got is grit i'm gonna let you go because you got tons of stuff to do and um i will follow up with you when this is uh all done and posted and published and things like that thank you so much it's really been a pleasure and i and i really love your questions and um you know it's you're you're kind of getting at something that i think a lot of people don't they they're feeling but they haven't but they're not as people aren't necessarily asking people those questions you know um so um it's really really fun doing this with you 
Yeah, no problem. And then love to have you on again, you know, at post driver X to see how things go. <laughs> yeah, that would be, yeah it'd be nice to follow up for sure. That concludes my interview with Mark Stoleroff, the founder of the No Budget Film School and the producer of Driver X, which is, as you've heard, is in the last few days of its crowdfunding campaign on Kickstarter. If you want to learn more about Driver X, just go to driverxmovie.com for all the details. And when you go to driverxmovie.com, it'll send you to the Kickstarter campaign page and just watch the six-minute video, their pitch video. It tells you everything you need to know about what their film is and who's in it. And, it's, and, I, and as you heard in the interview, there was a moment in that video that made me go, yep, I'm donating just because I like Mark. I like what he does. But the film that they're making, you know, spoke to me. You know, you might not be as old as I am. You might be older. You might, you know, connect with this. But it's definitely worth checking out again at driverxmovie.com. I want to thank you for sticking around this long. And if you did enjoy the episode and if you enjoy all the podcast episodes from Film Trooper, Please think about leaving a ratings review on either iTunes or Stitcher Radio or wherever you listen to podcasts. It's greatly appreciated. Thanks for listening in, and I'll catch you next time on the Film Trooper Podcast. Film Trooper. Filmmaking freedom for the independent.